music is about relationship. It's about me communicating to you. It's about trying to say, can we find each other through music when we don't have words? We don't know, but we do what we can. And we do it out of our love of God and our brothers and sisters and our children. You are listening to the Christian Music Archive podcast, part of the new release today podcast network. I'm your host, Dave Maurer. Each week, I share stories about Christ, community, and music, chatting with musical guests who you will find listed on the pages of the Christian Music Archive. There are thousands of creative men and women who have helped shape the soundtrack of the Christian faith, and we get to hear their stories, learn about how Christ has made a difference in their life, and hopefully along the way, we'll learn how we can be a better part of our community. Hello, my friend. Thank you for joining me for episode 89 of the podcast. Today's episode is a real treat for me because we are chatting with one of the pioneers in contemporary Christian music. As a young 20-something in the early 1970s, Adrian Snell was looking for ways to share his music with a bigger audience and was encouraged by another British pioneer music group, Malkin and Alwyn, to sign a deal with their fledgling Christian music label. This opened the opportunity to tour the United States, and Adrian has some real fun stories about his first experiences on the road with Sweet Comfort Band. You'll want to hear those, but more fascinating to me than those early tales from the road is how God has transitioned his music career into a different role, that of a music counselor. We chat about the power of music and how we may never be fully aware of the impact we are making in the world around us by following our God-given talents. This is another great episode, and we're going to get right into it after this message about Mercy, Inc. I want to tell you about the Rohingya people of South Asia. For 40 years, these people have faced discrimination, violence, and persecution, so much so that in 2018, lawmakers unanimously adopted a motion to recognize the Rohingya crisis as a genocide, describing it as crimes against humanity. This crisis has forced over a million Rohingya people to flee to other countries, and about 900,000 of them have fled to the coast of Bangladesh. According to Mercy Inc., 52% of these refugees are women and girls now living in 34 different refugee camps. Cox's Bazaar is the largest refugee settlement in the world, and it's located there in Bangladesh. It's a dense mesh of bamboo and tarp shelters and fires are one of the big hazards that happen to these extremely vulnerable refugees. In fact, in March 2021, 10,000 homes burned down and at least 45,000 people were displaced. Mercy Inc. and its partners help the world's most vulnerable people in 13 countries, and that includes Rohingya refugees in Bangladesh. Mercy has been on the ground in Bangladesh for five years, bringing relief, hope, and the tangible love of Jesus. Would you like to be part of the essential, ongoing work that is bringing hope to Rohingya refugees? Please go to mercyinc.org to read about the work they are doing. The work Mercy Inc. is striving to bring long-lasting change, both physically and spiritually. And I'd invite you to join the movement and bring hope to these generations. Learn how by visiting mercyinc.org today. When the Jesus Movement was getting started in the United States, British musicians were also looking to use music to express their faith 
through their own gospel beat movement. And one of those early music pioneers is Adrian Snell. Adrian released his first album in 1975 and has gone on to release more than 20 albums. Then in 1990, he quit being a professional musician and he decided he was going to use music as a therapy tool. And we're going to find out about that. But he's continued making music. In fact, he just released in March his latest project called Kintsugi, The Art of Precious Scars. And I'm excited to learn about that project. So join me in welcoming to the podcast, Adrian Snell, all the way from the UK. Hey, thank you. Welcome. Thank you, Dave. I'm ready for you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, you uh, you got started, it's almost 50 years ago. Can you believe that? I mean, that doesn't seem possible. I know. I, I find that hard believing because it doesn't feel like that. But I think I because I grew up with music sort of at the core of my life, I was writing songs around the age of sort of 14, 15, uh, which, which isn't particularly unusual. Right. I mean, lot, lots of teenagers write songs. Uh, and, and now that I'm, I better well just come out with it. I'm now that I'm 67. Um, you're quite right. That's 52 years. Uh, what I didn't know uh, uh, when I started writing a song, of course, was that that was going to be my career. Yeah. Well, what what was it that made you start wanting to write in the first place? You know, I think of a lot of kids, 14 years old, they're not wanting to play ball. They're not wanting to run in the woods, you know, do that kind of stuff. What was it that prompted you to say, I'm going to start putting thoughts to music? In a strange way, it wasn't a choice. Really? Explain uh, it, that. It was the only way I could express the, the, the really authentic, sort of deep, even sometimes hidden, part of me mm. that I wanted people to know or scent, but I couldn't put it into words. And because music had already become so important to me from the age of five, I think six, okay. what, what, what I, I couldn't have articulated this then, but what I know was happening was that I was finding a way as a six-year-old of going and in those days to the piano and just playing mm. what I was feeling. And, and from that little little sort of early glimpse into the language of music, what basically happened, I think, is, is and it still goes on to this very day, is that I discovered that was the way I could better express who I was, who I am, yeah. what are my priorities, what are my loves, what, what, what do I care about through this language of music. So it, it, there is a sense in which it wasn't a choice. Yeah. It, it was just, you know, I sometimes ask myself, what on earth would I have done without music? Yeah. Uh, and, 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 you know, it's, it's almost like a scary place to be. So you were kind of on that, that early 70s, the whole world was starting to, you know, kind of that hippie movement and kind of, you know, the gospel beat movement there in the UK. What was it that mm. caused you to say, well, I'm going to take these things and put them on an album and let other people hear them and not just, you know, for my yeah. circle of friends? It's a very good question. Um, I think I started, uh, you know, more seriously performing concerts and sort of beginning to travel with my music around 1972, three. Okay. Um, and I had gone to the music college up in the north of England in a, a city called Leeds, and was because I was at music college. Of course, my musical ideas my, my musical language was growing developing every day which is the the privilege you have when you're at a music school you know yeah. you're listening to music you're 
you're collaborating with other musicians, you're, you know. So um, I knew that because I was coming up with, um, let's say, quite structured pieces of music that I felt very comfortable with, I felt, yeah, that's what I want to say. The next obvious stage was, well, how do I get other people to hear that beyond just performing in concert? And clearly, one way would be recording. Um, but, and, and this is, you know, we probably won't have time to go into this in great depth, but I, I really, really, at that stage in my life, was not thinking of myself as Adrian, Christian musician. Right. Uh, absolutely, I was a Christian. There was you know, no question about that. There were no doubts about my faith. But I wanted my music, my work, to be heard by anyone, mm. by everyone. Yeah. Uh, what I do remember is that as I began to tour, and uh, in particular, I think there was one tour when I ended up joining forces with a duo called Malcolm and Alwyn. Oh, yes. I remember performing with them, I think it was in a town called Newcastle here in Britain. And in the dressing room, after the concert, they were reflecting on what they'd heard from me. Mm. Uh, and it, it, was, it was very encouraging. And we were talking about next steps. And they said, why don't you think about recording with a Christian recording company? We have a company that you know, are recording us called Kingsville or MGO. Yep. Yeah. And that's what set me on that path. And because, because we could be going down all sorts of uh, side avenues here, <laughs> I'm not sure that I think that was the best decision for me. Interesting. But that's the decision I made. Yeah. was to go, uh, and so, so they they told MGO about me, that you've got to hear Adrian, and step by step, within about a year, that led to uh, MGO saying, yeah, we want to record you, we want to release your music on our label. So, and is that how you then made it across the pond, so to speak, and how you got picked up over here? Uh, yes, a few years later, though. Right. Uh, that, and that was when the company that I was with um, had had an affiliation, shall I put it that way, gotcha. with Maranatha Music in California, yep. Costa Mesa. Yeah. Uh, so they, they had, it was kind of a collaboration in a way. I think it was it was about, you know, British musicians wanting to be heard in America. And to a lesser extent, American musicians wanting to be heard in uh, in Britain. Okay, um, and I was one of those. So I was invited uh, out, and I did some concerts. In fact, I retoured in um, up the West Coast. Okay, with a band called Sweet Comfort. Yes, Sweet Comfort Band. Very good. Yes, I remember it so well, and, and that was my first experience of working as a as a performer. In in, uh, in in America, yeah, with this crazy crazy band, <laughs> Sweet Comfort, and I and I would do an opening set at the piano, and then they would come on with the full band and yeah, do their thing. But I learned I learned so much in those days about American culture, about approach to music, about the the the, the place of Christian music in America. Uh, so much that was completely different from the UK. Yeah. Uh, but but that's how that started. It, it was a kind of a reciprocal agreement. Uh, Maranatha listened to my stuff and said, yeah, let's let's 
tour Adrian um, and uh, and I presume Kingsway probably tried to set up some concerts for Sweet Comfort or something. Yeah, yeah. In Europe. Well, what a, what a band to work with. I mean, Brian Duncan and all those guys, they were a little bit on the crazy side, weren't they? <laughs> they were. You know what? I, I, I tell this story sometimes because, because now I laugh my head off at this. Two, two things. My first visit on the first day after I woken up, they took me to a, a, a sort of, I think it was um, Wendy's, Wendy's Burgers. Okay. And I got my burger on my plate with my chips and I asked if I could have a knife and fork. And they were saying, what? <laughs> and the band just went crazy. <laughs> and they never, ever let me forget this. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm an Englishman. I'm polite. I have manners, you know. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. That's... It is. Uh, the second story, which is kind of, this one is really Im embedded in my head. It was, um, it, I, I don't think they'll mind me telling you this because they were such a crazy group of people. Yeah. Um, any journey in America is like 10 times longer than a journey in England. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and one of our early concerts, we had to drive from Costa Mesa up to Tacoma or something. Okay. It was a long drive. Yeah. You know, and, and I gradually during the drive, um, everybody fell silent. And they were doing their own thing, you know, crosswords, listening to stuff. And, all that True. Stuff. Uh, and then after a long, long time, finally, the, the, uh, the truck, the van arrived in Tacoma and they parked. And the drummer, Rick, uh -huh. he came out and he put my he put his hands around me and he said, Adrian, can we pray? I said, Yeah. I mean, don't forget, we hadn't spoken for about three hours. <laughs> right. Lord, I want to bring Adrian's really ugly face to you. <laughs> and I want to ask, you know, is there a way right now that you can change that? Make make his face more attractive to people. And it, it, it was <laughs> it was extraordinary. I mean, I mean, actually, it's my sense of humor. But but what made it extraordinary was the fact that we hadn't spoken for about three hours. <laughs> and it's the first thing he wanted to do. Oh, what a what a fun story! I, I, I have very precious memories of those. Or oh, and, and a quick um, a quick um, what's the word? A sort of PS. Yeah. It's that just a few years ago, after all this time, I suddenly had out of the blue an email from uh, Randy Thomas. Randy, yes, good guy. Uh, and he said, we're coming to England, me and my wife. Uh, you know, 30, 40 years ago, we toured together. We'd love to come and see you. And they came. And oh. We had a meal together. It was amazing. We just reconnected after all these decades. Oh, fun. Fun. Yeah. Randy and Brian have both been guests on this program. So yeah, those were fun, fun stories. Well, you talked about at the beginning that, that maybe you're signing a Christian record deal might not have been the right path for you. And I know that you love Jesus. Why would you say that that may not have been the path that you thought you should take? I think what remains to this very day, on March the 11th, a new uh, trilogy was released. Yes of mine called Kintsugi, the art of precious cards. But to this very day, my longing is that my work uh, is accessible. And accessible, what, what I mean by that is, and not musically accessible, what I mean is uh, could be found yeah. 
and uh, promoted to and enjoyed by anybody anywhere right. in the world. Right. So I, I never ever thought of myself as, as a composer sort of writing for a rather exclusive gotcha. group of people. Yeah. Uh, yes, my faith was absolutely the sort of the core of my being. So my songs would reflect that Christian worldview. Yeah. But that didn't mean they'd necessarily all be songs about faith. It, it, you know, they could be songs about anything. Yeah. But, they, the, the, but the, this Christian, Judeo-Christian worldview would be the, the canvas, the, yeah. the, the bed. Yeah. So I think what, what I feel is, in, in my heart, I kind of feel that uh, as a 20-year-old or whatever I was at the time, I was more eager, even desperate for a recording contract. <laughs> oh, yeah. Then I was to say, Adrian, take a step back, take your time. There's no rush. Let's see over time if yeah. you can find the right people to take your career forward. Uh, not in any way saying you can't be a Christian in this business. Absolutely, right. But, but certainly saying your music is worthy of a much broader audience. Yeah. Um. And, 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 you know, it's, it's, it's hard to find comparisons. That One particular person that comes to mind is Bono mm -hmm. of U2. Yeah. Well, and the band U2, you know, and it's a completely different genre of music. But Bono is, is a deeply committed Christian. Yes. And, and people kind of know that now. But, you know, he and the band U2 kind of understood, I suppose, at the time, that if they were going to have a voice to the world, yeah. and not just to the Christian world, they they just needed to fight to be heard yeah. and whatever it took, you know? Um, so I, I, I guess that's the answer to your question is, is it, I, I want to say, God, thank you for what you've achieved yeah. in my life, in my career. Uh, I have so much to be grateful for. Yeah. But, the, but the one remaining profound frustration is that I still don't feel I've found the potential audience for me globally. Yeah. Because I've been um, pigeonholed, compartmentalized yeah. into this world of Christian or gospel music. Yeah. And that, uh, that's, that's the frustration. Well, you mentioned your new album, and I want to make sure we talk about it. And I, I love the title. It's Kintsugi, The Art of Precious Scars. Now, help mm -hmm. us understand what is Kintsugi. I love, the th yeah. I love this Japanese word and what it represents. Well, I, just like you, when I first heard it, I hadn't got a clue what it meant. Yeah, it was actually it was the mother of a child who I worked with as a music therapist, who knew me quite well by then, and she just said to me one day, she, she bought her son for a music therapy session, and she said, "By the way, have you heard of kintsugi?" And I, and I said, what, "What is that? Is that like a?" Is that, is that food? Yeah. <laughs> is, that, is that a drink? What is it? Is it like sushi? Just, yeah. <laughs> no, it's the most profound, beautiful art form from Japan. She explained it to me, but then I did my own research. Uh, essentially, as briefly as I can, kintsugi is a Japanese art form, very established over hundreds of years, where a broken vase or a vessel or a bowl so shattered for whatever reason is remade but this time as it's remade all of the cracks 
are sealed by golden glue. So yeah. actually often really sort of golden leaf. So it's a quite precious material, yeah. not, not just any ordinary glue. And then as the piece begins to be rebuilt, you get all these extraordinarily golden marks around what were the cracks. Yeah. And when the piece is finished, you have this beautiful yeah. vessel that is actually more beautiful than when it was new. And the kintsugi, in effect, means the art of precious stars. And when I, when I heard this, I just, I, I mean, it was like literally that moment I said, yeah. Not, not only does that summarize you know, all that I believe as a Christian about redemption and yeah. forgiveness and renewal, but it's got to be the title of a work of mine. Yeah. And that was years ago. Uh, it, it's finally come to fruition. But that's, that's what it means, just this art form that I'd never come across before. And now that I have, and, and your, you know, your listeners, your, your um, readers, you can just Google Kintsugi and, and you will find images. Yes. Uh, thousands of images. Beautiful. Of yeah. the results of this work. Well, and that, like you said, that is a very beautiful picture of the Christian walk and how Jesus can make us whole and make us more precious than we were. But that's also talking about the ministry that you've gone into, the work you've gone into in music therapy, of using mm -hmm. music as a tool to help bring broken people, kids, together. Mm. Talk a little bit about the transition from performing musician into music therapist, and then talk a little bit about how do you use music as a therapy tool? Yeah. Well, I, I, I think I'm very, very privileged. I really do, because, you know, you must know that many musicians who, after a certain point in their life, it's almost like, how do I sustain this? Right. right? You know, I'm, that's all I am. I'm a musician. It's all I've known, but my audience is 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 um, lessening. Mm -hmm. I don't get so many invitations. I'm getting older. Um, most musicians go through that, unless you're at the you know absolutely the the, the top of the game, right. and somehow you you never die. Okay, I it wasn't exactly that, but I did reach the point towards the end of the 20th century when I was very jaded, mm. I was very tired. And it wasn't just a physical tiredness, it was tired of what it takes to do what, what I do. And maybe more important, the cost to my family. Uh, yeah. Uh, the years, the years uh, where my children wouldn't know if I was gonna be around or not. The years where we couldn't plan a holiday to look forward to because I'd say, oh, but there might be that festival you know yep. I, I need to go and play it uh, the absences really and i was very tired and, and i had come to the point of thinking but what else is that you know this is all this is all i know it's it's music and composing and music making yeah. and then i suddenly remembered that i had listened to a music therapist from holland years before giving a one-off lecture about music therapy and she had described how she was working in a psychiatric ward of a prison ah. with men who were probably serving a life sentence because they'd committed very serious crimes. Sure, sure. 
and 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 you know you can imagine uh, you know I was in the audience at the time. My goodness, to tell me what's going on. Right. Yeah. She would describe how she would meet with these men. There were four of them in each group, and they would be set up with huge drums, and she would facilitate first of all a, a drumming event where each man would pound the drum and express something of where he was. Then they would join the group and they would, all four of them, pound the drums, beat the hell out of the drums. Uh, and, then, and then she would facilitate the kind of drawing back and finding some common ground with the rhythm and then they'd be brief. So I had heard this lecture and I remember at the time being absolutely riveted. Yeah. But I'd forgotten it. And when it came to the turn of the century, as in 1999, yeah. I remembered it. And I said to myself, hang on a minute. Music ultimately is about relationship. It's about, you know, me communicating to you. It's yeah. about my authentic person expressing myself to you. It's about trying to say, can we find each other through music when we don't have words? Yeah. And I remembered her and I made contact with her. And I said, you know, I want, I want to do this. And she put me in touch with people in England. And that set me on the course to train as a music therapist. Um, and, and three years later, I qualified. And I began this new part of my journey, which is working primarily with children and young people with special needs, behavioral difficulties, etc., to, to do exactly that, to, to allow music to become their voice. Yeah. when they either don't have words or choose not to use them. Sure, yeah. And of course, at the end of the day, that, that's what music is. So, so, so the beautiful thing from my point of view is that in a way, although my stage is rarely now the concert stage, right. it, it is a room with a child or it's a classroom with a group of children facilitating them in music making to express who they are, where they are emotionally, etc. Um, and as you kind of hinted at, I think, uh, in the question, the, the amazing thing, and this is where I really feel I am privileged, is that that experience since the year 2003, I think it was when I qualified, okay. step by step, year by year, has begun to feed back into me, the composer, yeah, the, the performing artist. And where I find myself now is that I am writing more prolifically, more, more music than I ever, ever have before. Yeah. M music, you know, for the world, mm -hmm. not, not just for music therapy. Right, right, right. It's all fed back. It's renewed my thinking about music, kind of instruments I use. Um, it has so enriched my understanding of what music is. So that when I now compose and record, hopefully all of that is reflected in what I'm bringing. Yeah. Long answer. No, Sorry that's beautiful. That. Well, Kintsugi is a three-album set, a trilogy, and mm -hmm. and there are songs on here specifically about the work that you've done. The Cradle Fell was was is a song that looks like this is a, a direct reflection of the work that you've been doing. Could you tell us a little bit about The Cradle Fell? Uh, sure, I can. Uh, this is a particularly, let's say, difficult one, because you know, I, I know this is a slight aside, but 
one of the difficulties I have with so much Christian music is that it it seems to be all about answers right. uh, and resolution. And that's not the way we live our lives. You know, we live our lives in lots of gray, the, the area of gray yeah. rather than black and white, with lots of ambiguity, with lots of uncertainty and irresolution. Yeah. Um, and, and I think the most powerful thing about faith is finding a way of holding the balance between what we want, what's the reality, but what we believe. Mm, yeah. So I, I, I use that as an introduction because the child around whom the cradle fell is written uh, was very broken. And uh, we, I don't know, nobody knows fully the extent to which uh, her, her family life was broken. But she struggled. She was very autistic. She couldn't speak. Well, well, she didn't use words. Right. But she was very aware and very emotional as a girl. She was. She's. Um. We're talking a seven-year-old here. Okay. Okay. So she, you know, she was present in the moment, but present in the most dynamic and sometimes difficult way, because there was so much going on inside her. And you home alone, abandoned, now the world was only you, mother love, she fell exhausted, cause she couldn't make it through, bruises around your deep brown eyes, see how they amplify your pain, face Story picture Violence always leaves a sting Those who should have always carried you Held you safe and sound Had nothing left to give or offer you You were simply lost not found Born into Choose to flee 
is my child Always remember You can always run to me And if one day You let me lead you To a far, far better land That our footprints Will appear as one Before the wind reshapes the sand For I know that I can reach you Many times I sang your name And you smile from recognition to her uh, not that she was always happy in our sessions but I think I found a way to her yeah. and we would begin to work together we would give me instruments to play we would sometimes vocalize together um, and then things took a turn for the worse um, and she had to be well let's say isolated from the class so she couldn't be a member of a class anymore. She had to be on her own. And I would go into her space once a week and just work with her. Um, so already it was incredibly painful because, yeah. you know, she was no longer considered safe mm. to be with other children. Yeah. But still, you know, I loved her very much. And, and, and I still believe that, you know, the contact we had was a mirror, was a reflection of that love. And I think, you know, if I have memories of the way I think she expressed her own response to that. Yeah. The ending of the story, which is what I mean about non-resolution, right. is that um, uh, one day the school realised that they hadn't seen her for a couple of days. And in, in I don't know how it is in the USA, but in America, in England, uh, schooling is, is obligatory. Right. You know, you, you, you can't just take the child out. So there comes a point when the school have to go to the home and say, well, where is your child? And they went to the home and the mother was dead and she had died in the kitchen of the home and the girl was upstairs in her bedroom. Oh. Um, and out of the situation, of course, I mean, she was taken into care. Yeah. I don't know where. And from, you know, she came... She continued to come yeah. to the school I work in for about two months while her new placement was sorted out. Right. And then she was taken. And I've never seen or heard from her since. Yeah. Um, so, you know, for me, 
that story and that song, it, it, it's so important because it's, it is about love. It's about unseen hope because we don't know the outcome. Right. It's about the way um, we connect through music, but we have to just accept that we don't know the end of the story. Right. Um, it, it, and I think it is about scars. You know, it's about precious scars. Now, yeah. I, I, I pray, I pray that she, you know, in years to come, will find a peace of mind, of heart and spirit, maybe remember yeah. our sessions, and that her scars will become, you know, a golden thread. Yeah. But I don't know. Right, right. Uh, and that's why songs like that on Kintsugi, to me, are so important. Because it's just saying, you know, we don't know, but but we do what we can, and we do it out of our love of God, of of, of and, and our brothers and sisters and our children that, that are part of our lives. Well, you know, the the thing that I realize in life is that uh, so much of life we're trying to make things wrapped up in a pretty bow, and like you said, it's not a pretty bow. Uh, I've been reading through the Psalms, and my listeners will will know this, but you know, the thing in the Psalms. Most of the situations don't change when the psalmist is writing out and crying. What changes exactly. is the person's heart, and yeah. and the situation is still the same. So I, I think it's important that we remember these kinds of stories. So thank you for sharing. That's that. very deep, Dave. What you know, what you said just said there, very deep. What you're saying because uh, it, uh, around this kind of area of thinking, people lose their faith mm-hmm. as as well as find it. You know. Yeah. People who feel they they prayed for 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 you know days years for an answer and it didn't come and they say right that then there isn't a God there can't be because he didn't he didn't meet me and I think you know actually I think that's very out there at the moment a lot of people struggling yes. with faith you know right now I'm sure you have the you know the news too about Ukraine yeah. and, and about the war in Ukraine. So each day we sit here watching men, women, and children being killed yeah. right now, you know, in another country. And of course we pray, we pray that Lord intervene. God, just bring Putin and his, his generals, bring them down and, and, and stop this. Yeah. And it goes on, yeah. you know, and, and this evening about two hours ago, you know, I was watching pictures of, a, of an apartment building in Kiev. Uh, they've been blown apart. And uh, a, a lady, an older lady, outside the apartment block saying, I'm sure that my friend was lost in this explosion because she couldn't walk. You know, and, I, and I'm sitting there thinking, but Lord, you, you could, you could, you could, you could. You could. You could do whatever you want. Yep. So we really do, I think, have to face some very difficult questions as people of faith. Yeah. You know, that w- what are we saying then about God's involvement in our world and how he involves himself? And, and, and that's, the, you know, that's the macro, but yeah. the, the micro, I suppose, is my world yeah. and people like this girl uh, and the, cra- the cradle fell. You know, it's, it's just saying... I'm not going to give up my faith, but my goodness, have I got questions.
Well, Adrian, every Saturday I send out a newsletter to a, a number of people who have committed to praying for artists and people using music as their vocation. How can we specifically be praying for you in the weeks and the months that are in front of us? That's a very precious request. Okay, so on, on the sort of artistic, professional level, for exactly as I said to you earlier, I long for Kintsugi to find its way into the lives of millions, not just thousands. Uh, this is not about money-making. This is about, as it always has been, it's about access. I just want people to hear it wherever they are in the world. You know, it needs to be given the chance to listen to Adrian Snell, and then they can say, I really like that. I, I you know, I want to find out more. Or, that's not for me. It's access. So that, on that level, on a more personal level, do you know what? It's linked to kind of a little bit of what we've talked about. It's it's hope of change. When you when you reach your sixties, um, there are these things that you've fought personally for decades. These aspects of your life that you long to be free from, or see change, or see healing, or whatever. And when they are still there, and they rear their ugly head you do find yourself thinking, okay, so is that it? You know, I'm just gonna have to live with all these uh, difficulties, these areas of my life that I so struggle with. So I think I think it would be about asking people to pray that I, um, my hope is restored, my, my hope of change or, um, yeah, that, you know, it's, it, it's very easy to lose hope. Not to lose faith. I, I don't think that will happen for me. But I, but I, but I can lose hope, and that's that's serious because you know if we lose hope, then we become. I almost want to use the word cynical. I, I, I desperately don't want to ever become cynical. I think it's the most uh, damaging, destructive emotion. Cynicism and despair go together. You know. But, but if you lose hope of change, if you, if you kind of year after year after year, you think, well, this hasn't changed. This, something does shift in you. And you start to say, well, okay. Uh, and, I, and I'm not sure how to define that, but I don't want that. I, I, I would love for people to pray, Lord, keep Adrian um, childlike, a sense of wonder, believing in better and change. Thank you for sharing your story with us today, Adrian. I'm especially captivated by your reminder that even as we become more mature in our walk with Jesus, we will still have questions, some of which we might not ever find answers to. That brings me to a personal story that I'd like to share with you. I was born in Bolivia while my parents were missionaries in South America. After a transition, they became pastors, and for the first 18 years of my life, my parents were involved in some sort of church leadership. My brother followed in their footsteps and has been a music pastor for most of his adult life. My sister is married to a pastor, so all of my family has been in professional church leadership. Well, that is, except for me. I followed the business world path. I've often wondered why it was that I didn't follow in the family business like my siblings did. And as I've grown older, I've recognized that God needs business leaders in church and ministry too. 
So even though I'm just a number cruncher and balance budgets, my work is vital kingdom work, just like my family being missionaries and pastors. That brings me to one of my favorite life verses in Colossians 3.17. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Or I think of the story Jesus told in Matthew 25 about the sheep and goats, how in the final judgment God will look at all the things we do and recognize how we made a difference by providing hospitality, meeting people in prison, or helping the sick. So what are you and I called to do? A lot of people, myself included, have wrestled with what is God's call on my life. And I've come to believe that our skills, abilities, and even our interests are gifts that God gives us to use. And just because we aren't on the stage or a platform, that doesn't mean that God won't use those gifts he's given us through us. Adrian Snell is using his musical gifts to reach kids. His stage has become a classroom and playing music with kids to help them find the gold glue that not only puts their broken lives back together, but makes them more beautiful and more valuable than ever. I have a passion for business and accounting. How can God use that to further his kingdom? Maybe you love fixing cars or hunting. How can you use those God-given interests and abilities to make a difference for eternity? Or how about guys who love sports? What would it look like to use your skills to reach people for Jesus? I am certain that God, who began the good work within you by giving you skills, talents, and interests, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. This week, I featured Adrian Snell's song, The Cradle Fell, and you'll find that on his brand new album entitled Kintsugi, The Art of Precious Scars. I'd like to thank Adrian for the permission to share that song with you, and you can pick up this great collection on Adrian's website. It's three CDs full of amazing music, and I'll put a link to that in the show notes. You really need to check out this Kintsugi album because it just might be some of Adrian's best work. And while you're on his website, you can learn more about his amazing work. And remember that buying music and books directly from the artist is the best way to support their work. Thanks for supporting Adrian in this way. As always, thank you for joining me for this conversation today. I am grateful that we get to spend this time together each week hearing stories of God's amazing faithfulness. As a regular listener to this podcast, would you reach out and say hello? You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn by searching for at CCM Exchange. Or you can also drop me a line on the webpage, christianmusicarchive.com. Next week, I'm talking with one of the best harmonica players you've ever heard. Buddy Green has performed all over the world and has written one of the biggest Christmas songs in modern music. I'm pretty sure you will enjoy this conversation. So be sure to tune in next week and every week when I share stories of the people you'll find on the pages of the Christian Music Archive. Finally, to wrap things up, I want to remind you this. God loves you. In fact, he's crazy about you. It's time for another Mischievous Mowers Miscellaneous Misquotes. People found guilty of not using punctuation deserve the longest sentence possible. <laughs>